Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. Live from our studio at Gateway Community College in New Haven, this is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Now, Tony Harp is the first African-American woman to be elected mayor of the city of New Haven. She was on the board of Alders first before becoming a longtime state senator, serving 20 years in the Connecticut General Assembly, representing the Elm City and parts of West Haven. Now she's hoping to serve a fourth term as mayor, a race that will likely see a primary in September. Today, where we live, Mayor Harp joins us in studio to answer our questions and yours. You can join the conversation. Call our New Haven studio line. Here's the number, 203-776-9677. Again, that number is 203-776-9677. Or you can find us on Facebook Live. Just add your question or comment below that live video stream, or just go to Twitter, at where we live. Again, I want to welcome Mayor Tony Harp into our Gateway Community College studio uh, in New Haven. Mayor Harp, it's a pleasure to finally speak with you. It's great to speak with you as well. I mentioned that you were a longtime state senator. So why did you want to become mayor of New Haven years ago? Well, um, one of the things that I learned is that women usually won an open seat uh, 51% of the time. It was the first time that the seat for mayor had been open. We had done a lot of work in Hartford. I served uh, as the Senate Chair of the Appropriations Committee for about 11 years. And one of the questions, we asked about three questions. How much did you do? How well did you do it? And is anyone better off? And uh, one of the things that I I tried to do was to send money to New Haven to make sure that we had the resources in our town to do the things that needed to be done. And I had to ask myself the question about the better off piece. And so um, as I thought about it, it was an open seat. And I thought that being in town, working with the resources that I thought would be sent to New Haven, uh, that I could assure that more people were better off because of the resources that came through. Do you feel like more people are better off uh, now, five years into this job? Uh, I believe that we've made progress and that it has been helpful to focus on things that weren't focused on before. Such as? Uh, Well, in particular, um, the work that we do with young people and youth. Um, One of the things that I saw happening throughout my political career were young people getting into gangs and um, getting killed and shooting other people, having to go to jail, the, the school to prison pipeline. And I think that we've made a huge dent in that since I've become mayor, and so I'm excited about the fact that there are probably more young people who have uh, positive and productive opportunities and futures because of my administration that possibly wouldn't have happened had I not become mayor. Mm. 
Now, I understand that crime in New Haven has uh, gone down in recent years. Again, this is during your tenure. Uh, but there have been um, recent shootings. Uh, like any major city, there is an uptick in violence in the summer. Uh, there was a little eight-year-old boy shot at his home in June. Luckily, he survived. What can you say to your residents, um, the people that are going to vote or not vote for you, about you know what can be done to make the streets safer so something like that can't happen? Well, one of the things that I am... Um absolutely so proud of is our police force and just uh, last week maybe a week and a half ago um, our police department through surveillance uh, rounded up 25 people who were um, bringing guns into our community who were giving our young people guns and um, those people are now off of the street and so my expectation is that our summer will be a lot quieter than our spring was. And so um, I'm, I'm really excited and happy that we were able to do that. You know, it's unfortunate that there are so many guns in America that it seems to be a part of our uh, way of thinking that everybody ought to have a gun. Uh, one of the things that we've worked on in New Haven is trying to make sure those people who bring the illegal guns into our community uh, are really taken out of our community through the criminal justice system. So we've done that with 25 people. I believe it'll make a difference. You're hearing uh, Mayor Tony Harp here on Where We Live. She's running for a fourth term uh, as the mayor of New Haven. You can join our conversation. We're actually broadcasting from our New Haven studio today at Gateway Community College. So the call-in number is a little bit different. Here it is, 203-776-9677. You can also find us on Facebook Live at your question or comment below that video stream, or you can just find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, let's fit some calls in. Uh, I think it's Catho. Uh, Catho is calling from New Haven. Uh, Catho, I, I apologize. I'm saying your name incorrectly. Uh, what's no, your question or comment? Correct. What's your My question? My question is, early on in the campaign, um, Mayor Har- it was identified that Mayor Harp had almost $100,000 in donations from her 2017 uh, campaign and that these, ident- these donors were not identified and that she was working on it and would get that information out to the public. It's something taxpayers need to know because we need to know there's not outside influence, big contractor money. So it's important that these uh, names be identified before the primary. Katha, thank you for your question. Mayor Harper. Sure. Uh, look, uh, we are, are working on it. My treasurer is working on it. As you know, as the candidate, I don't handle any of the money. It's all handled by the treasurer, our bookkeeper. Uh, they are working on it, and it's my expectation that there will be more imp- information prior to the primary. Uh, Ken uh, tweets uh, that he uh, says that your, your repeated failure to use the state's only municipal public campaign finance body, the, the New Haven Democracy Fund. Uh, and he goes on to say, if she said it's not strong enough or it's too much work, um, why not fix it over your tenure? Well, you know, in all honesty, I really didn't pay a lot of attention to it. We had a great one for state office. And I just assumed that the one that we had for the local area was adequate. You know, one of the questions that I ask myself is when we have difficulty with education, people are are concerned that there isn't enough money for education to put, and I do, uh, $200,000 into the democracy fund as opposed to making sure that we have adequate teachers. It's a kind of a hard uh, decision to make, and yet I do it. I don't think that it's something that everyone should use, and I choose not to use it, because I'd rather have those dollars go to where they're needed in our city to work with our young people, to work with our elderly, 
And uh, I think that people can raise their own money for elections. Um, there's a likely primary in September. Uh, uh, likely uh, opponent would be Justin Elliker. Uh, this is someone that's been raising a lot of money. Somebody that you have uh, um, ran against uh, before. Um, you know why? Why should people give you another chance as mayor, uh, Mayor Harp? Because I've done a good job. Um, I've done a, a, a great job. Look, if you look around New Haven, it's the most vibrant city in the state of Connecticut. Uh, we've grown housing, not just housing for uh, people, f- a market-level housing, but 2,000 units of affordable housing. No other city has done that in the state of Connecticut. We've reduced crime. Um, yes, an eight-year-old boy um, was, was, was shot, thankfully not killed, but we have reduced crime across the board in every single area greater than, uh, to a greater degree than any other city in the state of Connecticut of our size, and so uh, I believe I've done a good job, and so if people want to continue the progress, I suggest they vote for me. Let's talk about education. Uh, I understand that the new superintendent, uh, is it Dr. Burks, uh, a lot of uh, opposition with some of the uh, plans that she's put out there, including transferring. Uh, there was a note that 53 teachers were originally told that they'd be an involuntary transferred because of budget cuts. Uh, where does that stand? Well, right now the Board of Education has has voted for her not to transfer those people. But it, within her contract, she has the ability to transfer. That's something that is done on the management and administrative side. Certainly from a policy point of view, the Board can say, uh, we don't want you to transfer the, uh, those uh, folks. But we think that there is still about a $12 million shortfall. And if it's not uh, taken care of on the Board of Education side or the New Haven Public School side, then ultimately on when we end the year, it will be something that is in the general budget that will mean that we will have to reduce things on the other government side, public works, police, fire. And so it's really important that New Haven Public Schools and the Board of Education work together to reduce the deficit. Well, the deficit is a big issue, but what about um, educational achievement in the classrooms? Uh, where does that stand in terms of the outcomes coming from the children of New Haven? Are well, you satisfied with where they are now? Yeah, you know, look, we're an urban district, and um, I think that we've made more progress, again, than any of the other urban districts. It's really important to know that New Haven has always put children first and always done much better than uh, Hartford, Bridgeport, Waterbury, uh, but we continue to do even do better. You know, when I became mayor, our graduation rate was about 68 percent. It's now at 80 percent. Um, when I be- first became mayor, I think we had maybe 100 kids in our Promise program. Now there are over 350 children per year who qualify for Promise, and who we have over a thousand students in college free through our New Haven Promise program. So, and the thing that we've learned about New Haven students, we've got our, um, our charter schools, and so many people think that they're better because the charter schools test better. But when you look at persistence in college over two years, and that really measures how well um, your school system is, our students in New Haven public schools persist beyond uh, our charter schools and really beyond the other urban schools. So. We are doing the job. Could we do a better job? 
always you can do a better job. You always have to push yourself to do more. But we're doing a great job here in New Haven. Uh, going back to uh, the question about teacher transfers, if that doesn't happen, uh, will uh, families see larger class sizes in the fall? What are some other options to save money? Well, you know, the thing about class sizes is that the class size is defined actually in the um, the teacher's contract. So you can't have any more than 27 students per class in, uh, based upon the contract. Here's what we have in New Haven, though. We have some schools even now that have 27 kids in a classroom, and then we have some uh, uh, classrooms in some schools that where you have a teacher and five kids. And so the real question is, how do we balance that out so that uh, you don't have 27, maybe you have 25 in a classroom, and maybe you have 10 if it's a special AP class or something. Uh, we don't have the kind of balance that we need in New Haven. We've really got to work to do that because you really end up having a lopsided and unfair system. Uh, you mentioned charter schools. Uh, I understand that uh, lots of uh, suburban uh, students, will, or some anyway, will come into New Haven uh, to go to some of the magnet schools. I understand that there is a proposal on the table where the city is looking at possibly charging tuition to these out-of-city students. How would that work? Is, is that something you support? Well, you know, one of the things when um, magnet schools were first started, um, the, there was the idea that you could charge, and there are some that charge now. In Hartford, if you sort of look at the correct schools, they charge tuition uh, of the sending towns. New Haven, because we did local magnets, never charged the surrounding towns, mostly surrounding towns in our region. And so we haven't done it about three years ago when we were having budget pressures as we typically do because the educational cost-sharing grant hasn't really been significantly increased over the past eight years. Um, as a result, we were looking at charging tuition and had a proposal in place, but it was during the legislative session. And within three days, there was legislation that said that you could not charge tuition um, unless you made the proposal a year in advance. And so I think what the board is thinking about now is making the proposal so next school year we'll be able to charge tuition to sending towns. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a fear that that would then uh, push these suburban students away and that would undermine integration goals? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, has um, been a problem for us is that we really haven't reached the integration goals. Uh, unfortunately, and we're starting to be um, basically charged by the State um, Department of Education for failing to meet those goals. And so, so that makes us question uh, the whole magnet premise. Uh, we submitted a bill to the General Assembly um, holding New Haven harmless and keeping us at the same, uh, they've changed the policy over the past 10 years. And so what we and we were never held to the racial balance uh, when the program first started. And over the past few years, have been required to maintain that. So what we would like to do is go back to when the program first started. We'd love to have suburban students come to our, our schools, but we've had a real difficult time meeting the 2575 um, racial balance that's required by the current state law. Uh, you spent a long time in the state Senate. Again, you were uh, heading up uh, the very powerful Appropriations Committee at one time. Uh, what would you like to see in terms of uh, state support to New Haven? You know, one of the things that is that municipalities 
have to uh, deal with in the state is that we have really one uh, major way of raising revenue, and that's through property tax. In almost every other state, that uh, municipalities have more than one way to raise revenue. And so I would like to see there be other types of revenue options available for municipalities that we currently don't have. For example, um, a, a restaurant tax would be very helpful. Um, even taking into consideration um, uh, beverage taxes um, and um, hotel tax, although we have a hotel tax, it doesn't really go to municipalities in it. And um, that happened again about 15 years ago. The state had difficulty and it decided it would take the money. So there's got to be a way to, to share more with municipalities the resources of the state. And the other problem that we have is that our state had, had such difficulty uh, determining its revenues itself. So as a result, uh, because we're so dependent, New Haven, on the state, 56% um, of our property's tax exempt. Uh, whenever there is a major cut, they're going to cut the major line items, and those are um, aid to municipalities. And so every time there's a cut, that hurts the city of New Haven because um, we're, a t we're, a major, we're a town that gets most of our resources from the state because only 44% of our property is taxable. And so the state has really got to look into cities like New Haven, Hartford, um, Waterbury, where there are a lot of properties, either um, not-for-profit properties or state properties, that make it impossible for us to, on a local level, tax to provide uh, the kind of resources for services that we need in our cities. You can join our conversation uh, here on Where We Live with Mayor Tony Harp, who is seeking re-election um, as uh, the head of the Elm City. This would be her fourth term um, if she's re-elected. You can join us from our New Haven studio line is at 203-776-9677. Uh, Ben's calling from Milford. Ben, Ben, are you there? I'm here. Ben, go ahead with your question. Good morning, Mayor Harp. I just wanted to ask, since New Haven is a coastal low-lying city, city and will be inundated by the sea level rise from climate change. If she's in support of the New Haven climate movement and their effort to get New Haven to declare a climate emergency at the public hearing of the Alders on August 1st. Well, you know, we have been doing a, a lot of work uh, and gotten uh, state grants to look at our shorelines. We are as concerned as everyone else. We know that um, I, I think everyone believes in global warming after uh, the past few days and that we know that our sea level is going to rise. We are building berms and doing living shoreline projects to try to minimize the impact of uh, what we know will be um, rising sea levels. And so um, we will be working with advocacy groups to determine the, the best way forward for New Haven, but we do know that we are vulnerable uh, on the Long Island Sound. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Again, Mayor Tony Harp in studio here uh, with me to take your questions. Here's the number, 203-776-9677. You can find us on Facebook Live. Just uh, tweet your, or, sorry, add your question to the bottom of that uh, video stream, or you can tweet us at where we live.
is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. Today we're broadcasting from our New Haven studio at Gateway Community College. You can join our conversation, 203-776-9677, or find us on Facebook Live or Twitter. Just search for Where We Live. Uh, my guest today is Mayor Tony Harp. If you're a New Haven resident, now is your time to ask her a question as she seeks re-election uh, for a fourth term. Again, that number, 203-776-9677. Uh, Mayor Harp, uh, there's been a lot of attention on uh, the your administration uh, being subpoenaed by the FBI to produce uh, documents for an investigation. Um, people are uh, want to see transparency. What can you tell us about uh, what why you're being investigated, your administration? Well, uh, we don't know why. Uh, it's just like a Freedom of Information request. Uh, so it's something that, um, based upon the questions that they've asked, um, you know, we can only surmise, but I haven't been... Um, called to to testify or subpoenaed so I really wouldn't know um, I know that we're cooperating fully the information that um, the subpoena requests we are preparing and look if there's any wrongdoing I'll make sure whoever's responsible no longer works for the city uh, multiple reports say the subpoenas are directed at the use of grants and this delayed uh, creation of a youth center. Uh, you've taken some action since finding out about um, the FBI investigation, including um, you've put uh, Jason Bartlett, who used to be your campaign manager, on paid administrative leave. Uh, why did you make, take, make that uh, call? Well, you know, uh, one of the I, I thought it was a distraction. He stepped down from my my campaign or any involvement with my campaign so much of the requested information was about the Youth Services Department, and so I thought it was important that uh, that he go on administrative leave, leave until we find out more about why the information was requested. You mentioned that you thought that he would be a distraction if he was continuing to be your campaign manager. You now have a new campaign manager, Ed Corey, who has accused uh, your likely opponent in September, uh, his wife, of being part of this uh, uh, federal investigation because she's a, a federal prosecutor. What do you say about that? Well, you know, I think that it was something that, in retrospect, um, was probably uh, ill-advised. Uh, you know, certainly... Um, I think that in the future that we will not be um, attacking any family members, and I would hope, uh, since my husband was attacked during the first uh, race between uh, Justin Elliker and myself, that uh, uh, the same would be true of that campaign, that they would not attack any of my family members. Would you say that accusation is baseless then from Ed Corey? Uh, you know, I don't really know. Um, I, you know, it's... Uh, something that uh, that he thought at the time, uh, and I honestly uh, don't think that it's anything that could be proved. And you know, certainly can't say that it's baseless, but uh, can't say that there's a basis for it either. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live, uh, 203-776-9677. Mayor Tony Harp in studio with me uh, to answer your questions as she seeks uh, re-election. Um, I wanted to uh, read a message from Facebook. Elizabeth writes, there are some city expenses you've been criticized for, including your personal transportation and escort. Uh, Elizabeth wants to know, uh, why do you feel this level of security is necessary, and would you be willing to downgrade? You know, I really never thought it was necessary. It was the chief of police at the time who felt that it was necessary. And um, I had asked if I could have a civilian uh, person who 
would work with me, and uh, he he basically said absolutely not, and felt that um, it was important to assure that the chief executive officer of the city uh, be safe, and that it had been done for uh, all of the previous mayors of the city of New Haven. So, uh, if you're reelected, do you think that this would be a, a place where you could cut some costs? Uh, you know, actually, I think that uh, there are other cities, almost every other city, uh, there's a security force that that works with the mayor of the city of, of, of almost any city that I know of our size. And so, I don't believe that that's where we'd be cutting costs. Uh, Chris is calling from New Haven. Chris, you're on where we live. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, thank you, Mayor Hart. I was just uh, calling because I'm a part of the Local 34 Union, or Carrot Yale University, and we're currently trying to determine who we should uh, back in, in the uh, upcoming primary. And um, I know Justin Elliker has provided some insight as to um, what he would like to see the university do as far as contributing more in um, donations to the city, as well as... Uh, you know, having the university look at hiring more um, New Haven residents. I was just wondering if you have any sort of proposal that may align with that. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, we are working on is a formula. We currently have a formula that uh, was agreed upon by the previous administration to for the voluntary uh, pilots that is provided by Yale the, the Yale University. We're currently looking at that formula and we're looking at, at that with uh, some of the, some folks from your organization to retrofit that formula so that it will be modern and um, raise more resources for the city. Uh, one of the things that uh, we didn't look at that we're proposing to look at now is uh, the increase in tuition cost the formula in no way uh, relates to that, and I think that's important. Uh, and there are, as the university expands and takes on more of our 18.7 square miles for its educational uses, that ought to be figured into the formula as well. In terms of um, jobs for New Haven residents, I signed on to that years ago and have always supported that particularly those in our most challenged neighborhoods. I was there uh, with Local 33 uh, and Local 34 for the past 20-some-odd years. Well, not 33 because they're relatively new. And so I've been there. I've stood there, used my political capital on behalf of uh, the workers at Yale and will continue to do so. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel in studio with me from New Haven, uh, Mayor Tony Harp, the number 203-776-9677. And Marie's calling from New Haven. And Marie, go ahead. Yes, Tony Harp, I have a question. Um, what is your plan to revitalize the Main Street and Pete Meadow area? That area has been going downhill and garbage has been piled there for over 10 years. Um, just wondering, what is your plan, and do you have one? Well, you know, one of the things that we have been doing is going through each and every one of our neighborhoods through our Clean and Safe program. Uh, I bring all of my department heads that have a responsibility for the cleanliness of the city, for the upkeep of the city, public works, um, our um, 
Livable Cities Initiative, our health department, and we walk through each and every neighborhood. And when we find um, problems like those that you mentioned, we clean them up. Uh, if there are trees that need to be trimmed, the parks department is there to deal with that. And so, yes, these are things that we're doing throughout our community, and uh, we are moving uh, throughout the entire the entire city. So we started in New Hallville, and we will certainly get to that area. You can join our conversation, 203-776-9677. Uh, before I take some more calls, uh, Mayor Harp, we did talk just briefly about um, housing earlier. There's a lot of market rate apartments going up. Development is always good for a city, um, taking up some vacant lots. But is that a good strategy when we think about um, how these market rate apartments might impact uh, you know, costs uh, to live in New Haven? And, and are you looking to have more affordable units? You said there's 2,000 now um, as we speak. Well, there are 2,000, uh, uh, about 700 have been built within the past uh, year, two years, and, uh, and another um, 1,300 are on tap. Um, New Haven has more affordable housing than almost any other city in the state of Connecticut. 47% of our property is affordable. And so what we see happening now is during the model cities days in the, in the late 50s, early 60s, a lot of property came down, um, and for years, uh, people have seen them as parking lots. And these parking lots are now becoming housing in downtown as populations now don't want to travel as much to work, want to live closer to where they work, and want to live in a bikeable and walkable city. Uh, so what we see are uh, a project like the Hill to Downtown Project. And we're working with the developer there through the LDA to assure that 20% of the units built there will be affordable. And as we have a way to work with developers, we are negotiating affordable units. We don't want to have uh, a, 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 an area where there are just wealthy millennials or baby boomers in a certain part of our town. We want to have mixed use. Uh, I look at the... Um, Night Square project, and that is a it's a beautiful model. We have some that are market level, and many that are subsidized. And I believe that that's what will make our city continue to make our city vibrant. And so that's what we are working to achieve in New Haven. And most of these uh, new developments are coming up uh, in the downtown area, so there's no concern with gentrification uh, pushing other people out in different parts of the city? Well, I, I no, because we're building on vacant lots, so you're not really pushing anybody out. Uh, and I think you pointed that out uh, early on in your first question. So um, there will be some uh, building. I just broke ground for I believe it's called uh, Rockview um, near um, in the uh, really near our Hamden border, 78 units, uh, most of those affordable. Um, and we work with Glendower, our housing authority, own city communities, and uh, are building mixed use, mi mixed economic use communities throughout our city. So it's not just in downtown, but a lot of the graduate students, uh, people who work downtown, are moving in from the suburbs to work and live in New Haven. Join our conversation here on Where We Live with Mayor Tony Harp. Uh, we're on Facebook Live. You can add your question below the video stream or call in 203-776-9677. Sarah's calling from New Haven. Sarah, you're on Where We Live. Good morning, Mayor Harp. Um, thank you for having me on the show. My, my question is why you 
chose to ignore the protests of the community around the hiring of our current superintendent, Carol Burks, and why it seems that, again, um, you're ignoring the protests around her performance and requests for um, her, a new superintendent. You know, I don't think that I ignored, just like there were people who protested her uh, coming to New Haven, there were many who wanted her to come. And we had to weigh and measure. Um, Carol Burks um, worked her entire life in Connecticut and uh, understood the Connecticut system, how you work with the State Department of Education, uh, and had a, a excellent educational pedigree. All of the other uh, folks except one who really didn't have a, a doctorate degree nor the, the qualifications that she had were from out of state and would have had to have learned how to work one with the state and work with our local system. So I believed at the time that she was the best candidate and uh, so did the majority of the Board of Education. Always there are going to be people who see things differently. But I believe that the Board of Education at the time had the most in-depth look at all of the candidates, and she was the best candidate at the time. And there have always been people who've been opposed to her. There are some people who really believe that uh, they had a, a candidate who may have been a local candidate but with less qualifications and continue to support that candidate. Uh, all I can say is that... Uh, at the time, she had the best qualifications, and she has been in office for um, a, a year, not even a year and a half. And uh, the people who, uh, who wanted another candidate and wanted other candidates continued to oppose her and continue to oppose her. It have made it very difficult for her to operate in our city. You've mentioned several times that at the time, uh, Carol Burks uh, was the best candidate, um, and at the time you supported her. You still support her today and the policy recommendations she's put forth? Well, you know, some of the policies um, I've disagreed with, but, you know, in all honesty, I want to give her a chance. Um, she's only been here for not even a year and a half, and a lot of the work that she wants to get done really hadn't been done for many years, a lot of the planning that needed to occur. And we're really in the planning phase of, of, of her tenure. And so to say she hasn't accomplished something is uh, it's, it's fallacious. Uh, most of what she's been doing is planning and moving forward. And actually, the district has moved forward. Uh, there's been a lot of acrimony because the same group that wanted their candidate continues to want their candidate and continues to be disruptive. So how do you uh, move a school district forward when there is, uh, you know, significant community opposition, uh, despite, you, you know, you're, you supporting her? Well, I think that, you know, like, th it is moving forward, and I think that's what we need to look at. Uh, more and more of our kids are graduating from high school. More and more of them are going to college, and they're persisting in college. More and more of our programs are being fitted to uh, the kinds of needs that our, our young people have who are not going to college so that in spite of all of what you hear and all of the rancor, uh, progress is being made.
You can join our conversation on Facebook Live. Just search for Where We Live. We just have a couple of minutes left, uh, Mayor Harp. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, you know new development coming up. Uh, new Haven, like many cities, has a lot of, uh, of old housing stock. Lead has become an issue um, recently, and it's something that, again, your opponent is really um, bringing up, especially because of the idea that there are children in your city that um, have lead poisoning because they live in an older home. There's been a tension on policy changes that happened in your administration that uh, changed when uh, the city would send a remediator out to a property. So tell us uh, what is being done today to help the children avoid lead poisoning and to get the right remediation to the properties that are that are problems. You know, one of the things that I pride myself on is uh, my tenure as an elected official of caring about kids. I have spent the past 30 years making sure that kids are safe, that they're, they, are, they have access to health care. And uh, so uh, this whole idea of saying that somehow I'm poisoning uh, children is, is beyond ridiculous. It's something actually that was said yesterday at the forum. Um, look, I have said, and it was at a public hearing, that we are going to five um, uh, decimeters per milliliter. It's a very complicated, and I probably did that just uh, opposite. Uh, we are changing our ordinance, which is very vague, making it very clear that we're going to five. I've asked my department heads and my uh, coordinators to find uh, $50,000 uh, each so that we can hire uh, more of the inspectors to go out and look at properties. And, you know, the really interesting thing about the most recent case, uh, the plaintiff, once uh, we got into the property and we were able to see there was no uh, accessible lead, uh, so that uh, lead can come from all kinds of places, even toys. And so it's not always from the houses, but we are a city that's 380 years old. I have agreed my um, staff is working on going to five for everyone and getting the staff to support them. Uh, your city is being sued because of this uh, this change that happened, um, and I think it's five micrograms per deciliter of blood, right. which is the mm -hmm. CDC level of concern. Uh, so tell us, uh, the city is trying to get the, that case dismissed. Um, so I'm just well, no, not really. What what it is is it's as I said before, it's very complicated. Uh, what the uh, Legal Aid Association wants to do is to um, develop a class. So there's a class action suit. I call the the uh, the CEO of uh, the uh, legal aid and I said look we have agreed to everything that you've requested in your case um, why don't you withdraw without prejudice and give us a chance to enact our ordinance that so, th so that we can clarify it and um, we are beginning to build our systems so that we can do it. You know, what people fail to realize is we're meeting the state standard. The state standard is 20, and we uh, are meeting that. Uh, what we're doing, would we would be, I think, maybe one of two cities in the whole state that has five as the, uh, as the requirement to go out and do lead work. So uh, this is a standard beyond any other city in the entire state. We have agreed to do that. And so um, if we do a class, then all of our work in terms of changing our ordinance would be for naught. 
And so we would be in court all of the time. And so we're defending against the class, not against the five. Mayor Tony Harp, again, is the mayor of the city of New Haven running for re-election. We want to thank you, Mayor Harp, for joining us. Uh, The time always goes too quickly, but we hope to speak to you again in the near future. Very nice meeting you. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. After the break, we'll get some analysis of Harp's campaign from someone who knows the city of New Haven fairly well. That's Paul Bass, editor of the New Haven Independent. And you can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're broadcasting from our New Haven studio at Gateway Community College. We just heard from Mayor Tony Harp, who's seeking re-election for her fourth term. And joining me now in studio is Paul Bass, editor of the New Haven Independent. We wanted to get some analysis, so we know Paul and his team report extensively on the Elm City. They know it better than anyone. Paul, welcome Hello. back to the show. Hi, Lucy. Nice to see you. So let's start with the FBI investigation. I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, she it, it almost sounded like she would have ch- chided her uh, campaign manager, Ed Corey, for this attack on opponent Justin Elliger's wife, but then she wouldn't dismiss that this accusation was baseless. What's interesting to me is she brought up her husband. So in 2013, her husband has been dead a long time, and people were really kind of mean about it in her last race. And I, I never like, we always try to eliminate the comments about her husband. So I was surprised that her campaign went after the wife of a candidate. So she was kind of in a box because she didn't want to engage in the kind of activity done against her own family. But w- this is a Rorschach test election about race in America and race in cities. I talked to a lot of people and they've seen this conspiracy charge through two very different set of eyes. So white people say, that's ridiculous. There was some kind of conspiracy with an assistant U.S. attorney appointed under Obama who works on, you know, slip and falls for, you know, like kind of civil cases. And because the, they drew other people in, too. The Democratic town chairman was supposedly in league with the president of the United States, Republican, to sort of like make her look bad. It was something that was going on for quite a long time, this uh, investigation. The subpoena was actually based on reporting done in The Independent about lack of paperwork backing up how they're spending money, which, by the way, there has not been any proof of illegality. And uh, so so any white person I know says, man, that's ridiculous, crazy conspiracy thinking. And then when I speak to African-Americans who are, you know, very intelligent, informed people, they a lot of them tell me that wasn't crazy. They say, you know, so much has been done to us, and they're right, you know, with Tuskegee, J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI, Donald Trump, they say this is very credible to them, and I have to respect that because I'm white. So it did seem ridiculous to me, and it does. And I have to admit that, but I also realize I see it through the eyes of a white person. A lot of issues in urban races for office often become this worse. So I think Tony Harp was leaving the door open to, because the strategy really was to try to associate her opponent with Trump, because Trump is so unpopular and her opponent is white a white person taking over a city from a black mayor, I think was to sell that doubt. So I think you're right, she was leaving the door open so that people can still believe it. Tell us a little bit more about Justin Elliker. Obviously, Tony Harp has re- name recognition, having been mayor now for five years, a longtime state senator. Justin Elliker is not his first rodeo. Uh, he's run against uh, Mayor Harp uh, in the past. Uh, 
Can this FBI story really impact uh, this primary? What do you think? I don't think the FBI story is going to be a huge impact on the, on the primary, I think, or on the general election. Because remember, Justin Elker is running in a primary mm-hmm. and a general election. New Haven politics has changed so that primaries are often now the runoff. Because we have 16,000 um, unaffiliated voters now in the city and 38,000 Democrats and minus five Republicans. So <laughs> we have, uh, so the, the general election really is a race. And most of those people voted for two, more than uh, two thirds of them broke for Justin Elliker in 2013 when he ran in the general election. So I think you're right. He has less re- name recognition. He's not an unknown, but it's really going to be an election about Tony Hart, how people feel she's done in office more than about Justin Elliker. He hasn't inspired people with a positive alternative the way he did in 2013. He's seen as credible. But what I notice about his supporters, it's more about if people or people aren't for him, it's really going to be an election about Tony Harp. So let's talk more about um, where there's significant opposition. We heard from someone calling in, not happy with uh, the superintendent, uh, Carol Burks. Uh, I'm just curious how that can play out uh, in uh, the ballot box because people are not happy with the superintendent and it looks like Mayor Harp is backing her. Mayor Harp is not really backing her. Um, the Board of Ed has been a mess, a political mess. We went to a partly elected Board of Ed um, after a referendum in 2013, and it's been just constant fighting. And her first two terms, Mayor Harp couldn't do much because she didn't control the Board of Ed. In the last term, she controlled the Board of Ed. She says, I'm going to stop it. I'm taking control. So they hired Carol Burks over the opposition of everybody. In my opinion, and this is something I respect about Mayor Harp, she likes to do things deliberately and very democratically. I'm more of, I guess, a macho male. I feel like if you're elected democratically every two years, pick somebody. So they had this whole public process and nobody wanted Carol Burks. And it's because it was a process that was more like a reality TV show than who's best for the job. Tony Harp very genuinely felt she was best for the job. They had to make sure that they didn't really have a majority of the board that wanted her. They got someone who wasn't showing up to make sure he was on phone for the meeting. And all the people who picked her have now pretty much renounced her on that board. And Tony Harper's right that the opponents have not let her govern without opposition, but it's also true that the mayor and her supporters have not let her govern. Within weeks of her being in office, the mayor held a press conference without inviting her, and so did the board people who hired her to um, criticize moves she was making. I think it's not in Tony Harp's interest to have her leave right now because her political base will be upset to see a black woman jettisoned without getting a chance. So I think that's on hold, but behind the scenes, the majority of the board that hired her has been negotiating with her to try to get her to leave, but she doesn't want to leave. Well, that's why I'm glad you're here, Paul Bass, to give us that uh, context uh, surrounding that But issue. Justin Elker has not taken a stand that's mm-hmm. shown us that he'd be any different or what he would do. He's trying to ride on the dissatisfaction any incumbent engenders by having to make decisions. As Tony Hart mentioned, she's done great things with youth. Uh, there have not been the same kind of shootings of young people because of what she did with the program called Youthstat that President Obama called out. She's right that they have not been gentrifying and pushing out people they're building and making lots. She's also facing an FBI investigation about now nothing illegality proved yet, but definite questions of ethics and, and uh, accountability. And the Board of Ed is a complete mess that has not been fixed that would be very hard to fix. So it's a genuine election with real issues on the table. Uh, So we've just got a couple of minutes left, uh, Paul Bass. We did bring up development. You just mentioned on uh, vacant lots, uh, uh, not gentrifying particular parts of the the city. But what about pricing? What about raising the cost of rent? You know what I always think about that, Lucy? Mm -hmm. uh, The opponent, Justin Elliker, is genuinely responding to people saying we can't afford to live here, which a lot of cities are facing. But the truth is, it's vacant lots and vacant buildings. When they become market-rate housing, first of all, the city has had them include 
affordable housing whenever they have leverage if there's a tax well, there aren't tax breaks but you know whatever kind of breaks they get and also there's an argument now going on in the country about whether increasing supply of market rate housing raises or lowers the rest of the prices in town and i'm not sure who's right but it improves the tax base by having that housing we are building affordable housing we do have the most in the state so it's a very real pressure people feel about affordability I would argue that her development policies have in no way worsened the problem, but it's an easy campaign issue to say, look at all those nice buildings going up. Not mentioning that, for instance, the biggest tower in the state has actually public housing in it at 360 State Street. That was before Mayor Harbour. I mean, like, we've done that with most of the projects. It's a hard problem, affordable housing. There's some really good ideas on the table that every city's looking at about how you include it in projects, but I don't think, I think it's a little bit of red herring as a, mm-hmm. as a campaign issue, a little phony. So what are you going to be watching for uh, in the weeks leading to the primary? I'm going to see whether Justin Ellicker how he negotiates having sort of a revenge um, campaign of people want to get back at Mayor Harp, but trying to also sound positive to all the new voters in town. I'll be looking to see if Mayor Harp maybe strengthens her message of how to deal with this lead paint, because in fact, a lot was left out in that lead paint discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a policy we've had for many years to go at, at the five level, and four separate judges have chewed out the city for not mm-hmm. doing their job right. So it's and a lot more complicated. And they change without the Board of Alders. Right? And they, that's not a change. It's whether you can go back to something you had before, mm-hmm. and then the person hired to carry out the change publicly disagreed with the mayor about whether she's carrying out the change so it's a mess the health department's broken a lot of departments city is working very well the health department's been completely broken uh, people's private information was let out because of mm-hmm. computer problems and lack of oversight i mean it's a it's one every government has parts that aren't working well in the health department and lead inspection has been a complete failure so you mentioned uh, the fbi investigation may not have an impact but the lead issue could lead issue could because it's of course Tony hart cares about kids and she was right to say she's done that her whole career but there's been complete dysfunction in that department and people can look at that and say why did it take so long to fix it well, I want to thank uh, Paul Bass for coming in, editor of the New Haven Independent. He's also host of Dateline New Haven on WNHH 103.5 FM in New Haven, where you can hear him interview Mayor Harp on his Mayor Monday show. That's coming up. But we always appreciate talking with you, Paul. Thanks again. It's always a pleasure, Lucy. Thank you. Uh, today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Also, thanks today to our digital producer, Carlos Mejia, for setting up Facebook Live. Tucker Ives on the board, Lydia Brown on the phones, and Katie Tularski uh, helping us with Facebook comments. You can check out more about our show just down Download our podcast anytime on your favorite podcast app, or you can go to online at wmpr.org slash where we live. Tomorrow we're talking hemp. Thanks for listening.